Hello, I'm Mary Schuster, and this is RamQuest Pandemic Practices Podcast. We work hard to bring you all aspects of reality on the ground during the pandemic, and that includes a wide variety of guests. But we also know that there is no such thing as too much information when it comes to an agent's perspective. That's where all the magic happens, right? Well, we have another one for you today. My guest in this episode is Aaron Tracy Jenner, who is Senior Vice President of Production Operations and Director of Training for Greater Illinois Title Company. Having been in the title industry for more than 35 years, Aaron started as a policy typist in the bad old days, issuing three ply tissue paper policies with carbon paper, then moved into the escrow closing arena, and finally settled in on title production. So folks, she's very bilingual in that she speaks both title and escrow. There are two professional designations recognized by the Illinois Land Title Association, and Aaron holds them both. That's the IEP and the ITP. She also holds licenses in Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Missouri, and she serves as a board member for ILTA and co-chairs their education committee. I feel I should also mention she has a completely adorable puppy dog named Bruce. Hello, Erin, and welcome to Pandemic Practices. Hi, Mary. How are you? Great. Thanks for being with us. Let's start by talking about your market pre-pandemic. What was sort of the structure of your physical office footprints? What was the normal workflow for closings? Let's just paint a picture of how it was a year ago. Our offices in the Chicagoland market, metro area, we have wet table funding and buyers and their attorney and realtors and the sellers and their attorney all attend the closing table. They uh, start sending in their information a few days in advance. We get the files worked up and people are in and out of the closing rooms all day long. Indiana, which is slightly different than the Chicagoland market, but right there where we have quite a few offices, they don't have uh, attorneys in their market. The realtors drive the business, but you still had buyers, sellers, realtors attending the closing, waiting for funding, waiting for their checks. And it was busy every day, all day long. So what was sort of your first clue that things were going to have to shift? Did it come from consumer realtor attorney questions? Did it come from you guys just seeing what was going on in the world and knowing you were going to have to make changes? How did that realization start to hit you guys? Last March, I spent four days on a personal trip to Las Vegas and then four days in New Orleans on a business trip and personal trip and realized when I got back to Chicago, if my husband and I didn't get sick from that, there was something wrong. We didn't get sick from that. But as things were changing here in Chicago was hit very heavy with COVID. Mm -hmm. And as things were changing, we were watching the news. We were listening to Um, the governor's emergency order for Illinois and what Chicago's mayor was doing. And it was probably about two days before our governor made the announcement that they were going to have, you know, like a two week stay at home break. Everyone should stay at home for two weeks. So this is where we had to figure out how do we do our transactions once we found out we were essential workers under the financial sector. Did you have Any reason to know prior to that whether or not you were generally designated an essential worker? We were hoping, we were figuring we fell under that. I believe it was at the San Francisco area that had shut down, but there were certain categories and we felt that we fit in under the financial sector. As that was kind of taking place, everything in that now in my head, it's like it was slow motion, yet when it was going on, it was so fast. We identified staff that 
we knew immediately didn't have to be in the office. A lot of my production staff, some had equipment at home, some didn't. Some people don't work well at home. I have to tell you, there's many who work much better at home than they used to. And we basically started deploying people out with equipment, with lists of equipment, where I just picked it up off their desk, kept it all plugged in, and said, when you get home, take it out of the box, set it down. These are the three pictures you need to follow and call me when you're plugged in. We identified who needed a printer, who didn't need to print, who could do this, who could do that. And we had quite a few people out of the office before we were told we had to have people out of the office. And that is where we had to figure out curbside closings. We're in an attorney market. The attorneys are there to guide and offer you know, advice and counsel their clients. And some were open to curbside closings. If we could get the documents the day ahead of time, which lenders were all of a sudden working from home who hadn't before, didn't know how to do this. Everyone's sharing bandwidth at home because there's little kids at home and some attorneys embraced it. We would get the loan package to them the day ahead of time. They would FaceTime with their client. Some didn't feel they were doing them a service. We tried to the best of our ability to accommodate those attorneys who were uncomfortable with it. But if you had three buyers and an attorney and a realtor, we we couldn't let everyone in because of the safety of our employees also. In the big picture, people saw that and they understood it once the COVID numbers became hot and heavy here. It was almost easier for our Indiana operation because there's no attorneys involved. They dedicated parking spaces in many of our offices. We had signs in our parking lot and let them know when you get out to our parking lot, call this number, let us know which spot you're in. We'll come down, we get their IDs, we talk to them, we'd introduce ourselves. And then we'd have someone who'd say, well, I have to be in the car for my closing. I have COVID. Right. What do you do in that situation? Well, who wants to go to that car window? So we we talked a lot of those through. Illinois is not a RON state, remote online notarization. It is temporary under the governor's emergency order. However, our underwriters in this state really aren't keen on it. It has to be an extreme situation because it violates our Notary Act. And so there's RIN under the governor's emergency order, which is remote ink notarization, which is a meeting like this. I've sent you the documents. We've identified that your ID identification is good by texting it, by holding up. It's all recorded. Lenders were not happy about this either. We were told no by most all lenders. And we asked their permission because it's their money. We are aware that some were closing them without telling them. We don't ever want a borrower on a refi and say, well, we just had a Zoom meeting and we signed everything. And the lender goes, what? What are you talking about? So we handled a lot of RIN situations for um, seller's documents to facilitate for seller's attorneys who would attend and they would come in and they would be a party to this and go through the documents. We share the screen and we do that. We had many attorneys also say, why would I ever use this? Until they got a call from their client that their client had COVID or had been exposed and can't sign the documents. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So especially in those early days, did you have more resistance from other professional stakeholders in the transaction, yet demand from the consumers because of COVID? Because you guys were earlier on in some of this than some of the others. You don't know with respect to your underwriters what's going to be allowed outside of the lenders or attorneys. You don't have a courthouse at that point that's accepting recordings. So 
keep closing and we'll deal with a potential backlog. And we want to talk to you about how all that sorted out. But was there more pushback from the other professional stakeholders than there were your consumers or how, how did that go? I think uh, in the Chicagoland area, we're in a big market. So, you know, some areas were more understanding in the loop in the downtown Chicago market. The attorneys weren't really looking to attend because their offices were shut down. They weren't going to the city. We have a good relationship with our concierge in our building downtown. City Hall is across the street. You know, normally where if you park there for five minutes, you're going to get a ticket. They would let us handle signings for 30 minutes at a time there. And our sales staff came in and ran those documents down so the closer there could be at their desk and, and get the work done. And the, and the salespeople were running back, getting documents signed, collecting IDs, making copies. Some branches, it was easier to do than others. You know, if you're in a shared parking lot with a couple other businesses that were also essential workers, maybe you're going across five rows to get to Bob and Mary who are down by the grocery store instead of in front of the building. Were you early on then, because you had the benefit of decent weather, it was springtime, moving into summer, so were curbside to-go closings the, your default in those days, or was it just something you offered, or you could they could come in? It was the norm. It was the norm. So most of yours were going on in the cars. We offered to our seller's attorneys to not attend the closing, to please forward your pre-signed documents to us. Here's a label to get it to the appropriate office. Be available by email for closing to sign the closing statement. The buy side, we were directing to the parking lot unless we really had a lot of pushback. And then with moving production staff out of the offices to work at home, we were able to better distribute our escrow people around the office. So they weren't on top of each other and they aren't sitting in a room the whole time with the customers. They'd come in, buyer, Attorney at one end of the table, closer at another, everyone's masked up, the documents are there, please start signing, I'm going to copy IDs, I'll be back in 10 minutes. Closer comes back and someone's wandering around the lobby. Oh, Do you have coffee? Oh. No, we don't have coffee. Oh, not no. right now. You know, those are the habits that we all have. And I think I'm sure it happened at doctor's offices and every everywhere else. Curbside was the 85% rule. A few customers just mm -hmm. couldn't handle the change. We would allow them at a table or a table in the lobby, and that was it, to ensure the safety of staff as well. We also needed to keep offices open. We had no idea how busy we'd be, and we were way busier than we mm -hmm. thought we'd be. Well, and this lasted so much longer than anyone thought. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your table funding state. So yeah. did you keep your check cutting and other escrow activities going in each branch? Is that consolidated? Did you have people doing that part remotely from home? How did you fix that up? So at Greater Illinois, there are the key group of us called the E's. Edie, Aaron, and Erica. Uh, right behind me, I have a printer with microtoner and I have check stock locked up. And in a pinch, I have funded different transactions. We help with wires. We do anything. I was home the most out of everyone. I'm production and I gave up my office to someone else. Not to say I wasn't coverage at other offices when there was a need. All offices had full capabilities. The office that we had the biggest concern with, our loop office, wasn't necessarily COVID-related. It was related to other things that went on in Chicago last summer. We sort of deployed some key individuals to a, a remote office that we then stopped booking appointments at. So we could have that department always up and running with no concern that we wouldn't be able to get to the office that day. 
you said you have the ability to print checks from home with your Micker Ink and your check stock. It sounds like you already had that in place. So some of our listeners have not considered that. Could you step through how you had put that all together, either for you to be able to print checks at home or I don't know, maybe you can fund files and have them print at a location that is open and available. I think that would be helpful for some people to hear how you did that. Some of it we had in place prior to COVID. Again, there's a group of us that have the ability to load any check printer in the company, and that's in any state, onto our profile. So I may be working and need to help Florida do something or print a check for them over a weekend if I'm doing something. I let them know I've printed it. It's in a locked, secure room. Indiana, the same thing. And Illinois, a group of us have that ability. And it is very, very helpful to have that ability. How it was done, I don't know. That's the magic of IT people. I'm sure they just plugged in a whole bunch of little stuff and said, give her access. And there's also a prompt that if I'm logged in and I don't have access to those um, check printers, it says load Illinois or Indiana check printers. It just loads for me. So that has been in place for a couple of years and has been very helpful, especially if we had a closer who was having some issues printing for some reason. Maybe they were missing something on the validation module and it was just easier for one of the supervisors to go in, take care of it. For the pandemic, as we were deploying people home, production people was easier. We knew what they needed. Escrow people, there aren't a lot of escrow people working at home, but there are a few who had setups who, if there was some sort of exposure or if they had a family member who was ill and or something like that, they were able to work from home. We limited who had check access. It's the ease who have checks at home and that's it. The other people could set up disbursements, they could schedule, they could work up files and do all of that. I think it is key to figure out what you need to have in a disaster. And I am a huge believer. You always learn from every situation, whether it's good or bad. COVID was horrible, is horrible. You know, my daughter's a nurse. I have a whole level of horrible I hate about it. But what did we learn from it? We learned from it that we are creatures of habit, but we can change. So one is the flow of a file is different. We are very resilient and we're able to do this. But then internally, how do we do all of that differently? The signers who go to people's homes, you look like a creeper standing in their front window watching them sign. Good weather, you know, a patio table. Everybody's outside, they're masked up. It was very different. And even then we would ask when we're going to someone's home, has there been exposure? And oftentimes they asked of our staff to basically fill out the same CDC form that we were requiring them to fill out. And then if that closer had been around 10 other closings in the past two days, they didn't want them in their home either or near their home or touching the documents to bring them. I think the trickle down of the snowball effect is when we're in the middle of it, we always get it done and you have to clean up the debris. And the debris is the backlog of recordings whether it's on our part or some of our recorder's offices locally. Many of our recorder's offices were phenomenal. One is struggling, which is the biggest impact still. At one point, the e-recording queue had over, I believe, 88,000 e-recordings in it for that county. Okay, well, let's talk about the gargantuan Cook County recordings. You haven't called them out and we don't need to specify, but I will say that generally speaking, that's where you're going to feel the most pain just because it's your large, large metro area. So you mentioned earlier when this first hit the fan, they were closed and I'm going to guess they didn't know and you didn't know when they would reopen at what strength or 20 minute increments during the day they would be open. So walk us back through sort of the evolution of how that happened and and how you experienced it. 
The other counties around here, we could call, someone would answer the phone. We'd say, are you open? Not to the public. We can e-record if you want to UPS documents off or if you want to bring them and drop them in the slot. We'll tell you we got them. We'll shoot you an email that we received them. Was it like a slot in their door for you to drop your recordings through? And some have a bin or you could get it there to them. Cook, you couldn't. There was no one there and there was no remote e-recording. I was on a call with different title company, upper management and ownership from the state and some recorder's office people for Cook County. There really wasn't a disaster plan. Hey, they owned it. How do we make this better? They got it in place and it was going to be on a limited basis, but then it ended up being a record-breaking year for refinances. Our underwriters all sort of scrambled at that point saying, hey, you know, we have to think about this. There's now, besides a gap, there's a gap. There's a capital G-A-P. Because there is literally nowhere to record these documents. When the recorder's office reopened, not open to the public, limited e-recording. However, there's types of documents you cannot e-record. Condo declarations, there's more than five PIN numbers, more than five parcels, blah, blah, blah. Cook has a, well, we can do this but this is the list of why you can't. We can't get in to record them. So we have contacts, other title companies have contacts. We're talking to people. So then people are working a couple days a week, then a couple days a week at home. I don't know if they're sorting documents, all the stuff that was being UPSed in the clerk's office at the end of 2020 was being reassigned to take over. Reassignment of duties is the term to take over the recorder's office. So staff was also reapplying for their jobs. That just became difficult because, you know, they don't know if they have jobs. There's chaos in sort of how to get this resolved. It has gotten better. I believe they e-record on the weekends. They record like 10 hours a day during the week. So the gap is about three and a half, four weeks. Oh, so you had to totally bifurcate what I'm sure before was a very streamlined process. I'm talking about title recording policy right now because I want to come back and talk about escrow, which is going to be very different. So you had, I'm sure it was a streamlined process and now you have this what holding pen because there's the group you submitted but we're just backlogged in a queue and then there was a group that you couldn't submit so we could keep submitting but you know us and every title company in the area anybody with e-recording rights kept going well what's the limit how big's the queue Mm -hmm. and then if you get out of order if they get to your documents eight weeks later and reject them you're then back at the bottom of the pile And if the queue breaks, like if that balloon explodes, do you get a notice? We didn't know. Everybody was scared to death. It was kind of like playing Jenga or something. It was kind of like, well, you're poking the bear. Do you want to do that one last one? And that was constantly the question. How many documents can be in there? Will it crash? No, it's unlimited. It won't crash. I doubt that. So then that created a holding pattern for maybe we have a project going on. We have a condo declaration that has to get recorded before we can close on our units. If we just UPS that in, that could sit for three months or two weeks. We don't know. But then we have to pull these other docs out. We can't submit them for e-recording because they don't have good legals yet. So then it became uh, how many shelves do you say, let's put this list here and then this and then this. We did have a local county contact us that we've had a very good relationship for years who decided during the pandemic to do transfers with consideration they had never done before. And they asked us to help them because we've always presented such good recording packages. 
Uh, we walked around and tooted our little horn for a few minutes because we thought that's great. That's one less package we have to UPS out. Well, have any of the counties who struggled the most and who did not really have a disaster program in place at all that they had drilled for, have any of them reached out? for, you can't even call it post-mortem help because we're still in it, but solicited advice from industry as to what a disaster protocol should look like for them, what you need? My understanding is Cook has. There's been some meetings with different organizations and they are aware trying to improve, but also with that transition of leadership and the whole new role of what they're going to be doing and how they're handling it. They're in a much better position than they were before. I think that they need to keep reaching out continually for a year. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And I think that for other people who are listening to this, who might have had something similar happen with their county, Mm -hmm. maybe if their county hasn't yet reached out to them for a roundtable dialogue, the agent could reach out to their recorder's office and say, let's sit down as a group. Because you as an agent can have the best protocol, and that's great. But if everybody in the supply chain, including those county offices that, yes, you think would be squared away, but oftentimes aren't, Mm -hmm. it's the old proverbial only as strong as the weakest link in the chain, right? Absolutely. And it was eye-opening. All of the other counties were shut down to foot traffic, but the work was getting done. Maybe it took a day longer. That's reasonable. And then how do we make tax payments? How do we order zoning? So City of Chicago, we have zoning, we have water. There's a lot of pieces to that puzzle, a lot of checking of manual checking of records over at the tax office that we didn't have access to. Or customers would call and say, well, they're open. Well, our gentleman went over there four times today and there was a line of six people. He can't get in. He literally cannot get in. And Cook County just opened up a site for the warrant books for old sold taxes that have been cleared or possibly have pending information from 2017 back. And they're on a computer at the back of the tax office, like two terminals that the customers could use. As long as you have a TPA account with them to pay taxes, you have access to this now. Our internal underwriters almost wet their pants last week. They were so excited to see this. To us, that's the wheel. We have the wheel. And fire. Fire, (laughs) exactly. Now, you touched on this. I want to come back to it. I'm sure you guys had a really well thought out disaster recovery plan. And I'm sure you thought about fire, probably tornadoes, maybe even earthquake. I'm sure you thought about a lot of things, but I haven't met an agent yet who had a pandemic section in their disaster plan. So it sounds like you're able to now take a lot of this hard won experience and incorporate that in for, God forbid, next time. Next time, and it's still not over. It's still now. It's still going on. Things that we have encountered over the years, offices in Florida, we have hurricane plans. Uh, We've had tornado issues. We're spread out across uh, Illinois here. We've had issues with a raccoon that got an event and tore an office up and blood all over documents years ago. Just weird things like that. We had a fire at an office. You know how to deal with a baby boom. You move people around till everybody's back from leave. Now it's any given day, someone could be out sick. They could have a family member out sick. A buyer and seller are going to be like, uh, I have my mask on. I'm signing my documents. I can't lose my two and three quarters percent interest rate. Right. What we have now is a concrete remote worker plan. We have identified that it's a privilege. I think it's a huge privilege to be able to wear my stretchy pants every single day. 
I do go into the office. I have escrow in my blood. I was an escrow closer for years. They know my notary's in my bag. I can go wherever they need me to go. But we have to acknowledge that we are going to work differently. We will have some different technology to get us ready for the next pieces. Because again, Illinois is not a RON state. However, I know how to do RON. I mastered RON in other states. The way our closers close currently isn't going to be the way they close in three years. Yeah, let's talk about the escrow departments because generally speaking, the title group generally does really well these days being paperless. They just take to it like a duck to water and boom, boom, boom. And they may have to have three or four screens, but they're jamming and going and that's great. Those of us on the escrow side, however, tend to not be as quick of adopters. Obviously, we're not to an entirely paperless scenario on the escrow side. Escrow, we tend to really worship our paper and hang on to it a lot longer. Something like this had to jar your escrow staff. Talk through sort of their evolution from where they were to now that I don't have it, what can I do on my screen? And listen, I have no judgment in this question or its answer, because if you asked me to produce a, hopefully be a HUD one or a CDF today, I would put out a blank one and get out my little pen and start filling it in before I put it on the screen. So I do not judge, but what was their evolution through that? Uh, yeah, escrow people are tree murderers. Yes. Before the pandemic, I worked at home for 12 weeks. I had had a minor medical procedure and I couldn't walk. And I worked at home for 12 weeks without a printer. I had to plan that out. I'm the person who sits next to you and goes, why did you print that? You can open it on that screen. Well, I know I can't see it. And I go, but you're squinting and highlighting here. You know, on the screen, you could like magnify that a little. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it adds it up for you. I have a 10 key editing machine behind me because I can't do it on my phone that like Mm -mm. it gives me anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's a group of us, the dinosaurs who have our adding machines and then the ones who don't. And they're being taught how to use adding machines. Where's your tape? Where's your tape? Show me what you did. My brain doesn't work as well that way. Exactly. I can't hear you if I can't see your tape. I think our closing staff, the ones who worked from home, one, if it was an emergency and they worked from home, it's really hard to work up a CD on a laptop screen where you have two little documents here. What's good is we had extra sort of old monitors. Take that, hook it up, and at least you had two screens to work from. People learned how to do that. I did have a title person who she likes to print stuff and mark up stuff. She goes, I'll have to go to the office every three days to print my stuff. I go, okay, let me know how that goes for you. Week out, she was done. The closing department prints way too much. And what I have learned from talking to many lenders during this, large regional lenders, national lenders, when I talked to them about their software, what could they do? Were they interested in RIN, blah, blah, blah. They weren't ready for this. We will be able to identify our newer escrow staff, maybe the ones who at some point helps the lender with their hybrid side, confirms that that portion is done, and then prints off the 12 pages of wet sign documents that we need. Our seasoned staff will go, why don't do it that way? It doesn't matter. Then you'll do the old regular closings because I think we're going to have a variety of closings and the lender staff isn't going to be ready for this either. As they're going on to new software, they have to be trained to do the new software. We have to learn how to use that integration with their new software and how we receive everything. And our closing department is going to have to learn 
well, with this lender, you go in here, with this lender, you go here, you have to go here, you pull this off, you get these four documents. No, we only need these four. And that's going to be the challenge in doing that. And I think having some new people, some fresh minds is healthy for this because they can help those of us who do have sort of predetermined ideas of how things should work. They'll go, that makes no sense to me. Why don't you try this? And you go, why didn't I think of that? Because I had, I had HUD stuck over here in my ear. One of our outside refi signers called me the other day. She was an experienced escrow closer years ago, loan officer. She goes, Aaron, these people, there was no note in the package. She said, I was supposed to ask, did they do their digital signing? And they said, yes. She goes, but there's no note. And I asked them if they signed a note. And they said, yeah, right here. Look, she goes, it said e-note on it. What the hell does that mean? And I said, well, this is perfect. And I explained all of it to her. I said, so that is an e-note and they have an e-vault. You can do that. They just had to have a wet signed mortgage because we don't have digital notarization. And she said to me, she goes, I never thought I'd live to see the day that I have that. That was amazing to her. And she was excited. She goes, I would love to be at that point that I could do one of those closings. And I said, we'll get there in the next two years. Yeah. Well, and you know, forgive the soapbox. There is a question coming, but I think that it's hilarious and you touched on it. Title and settlement gets bad rap all the time. Oh, we're just stuck in the dark ages. Oh, we're slow to change. Oh, we want to do things the way we've always done them just because of the way we've always done them. Well, no, that's not true. A lot of times it's for mitigation of risk. But once again, just like with TRID, just like with the 2010 HUD stuff and a myriad of other items, we got our education. Granted, we got it the hard way on this one, but we got our education on RON, RIN, hybrid closings. And, and let's be clear, hybrid's going to be the bridge in most areas for a while. And we went to the lenders and said, hey, we're ready. Dinosaurs in the supply chain are ready, right? And the lender said, I'm sorry, what? I find that so interesting. And when you talk about it at a sort of a high level in industry and say, why isn't there demand? And the lenders will talk about E-notes and E-vaults and Fannie and Freddie and their investors. And those things are all true. And that the fact that these haven't been litigated out yet for everybody to have security, those things are all true. However, I have not heard of one lender during this pandemic, and hopefully they're out there listening and will email me and tell me otherwise. I've not heard of one lender who just proactively asked their buyers, borrowers, would you like to have 80% of your closing be digital? Yes, we still need to wet sign a mortgage, a note, you know, whatever it is based on whatever is allowed, not allowed right now. But surely the 1003, you know, the 12th one they've signed and all these other things, I have not heard of one lender proactively asking their borrower, would you like to do this? That's a loan officer, individual loan officer, largely education and responsibility because that loan officer is not thinking about, oh, our investor and blah, blah, blah. And with a hybrid closing, it doesn't really matter anyway. Have you had any lenders who offered that first and foremost? And if so, please tell me about it. I'm dying to hear. So as COVID evolved last year, initially it was Rin and Ron is what was talked about under the governor's emergency order. As the year went on, and and again, I don't do closings regularly. It was brought up by somebody that, yeah, this lender, it's so weird. They used to have such a large loan package. Now it's only like, you know, 20 pages. And to us, we're like, well, it didn't print. The rest, it's caught in the printer. It's caught, it's spooling. You know, we figured out that's the hybrid. And so we asked and they said, no, they digitally signed all the disclosures, all the junk, the filler. It's the stuff that needs to be notarized and wet signed that's coming to the table. Great. 
And then we heard about a few more. And then we heard about a few more. And I just did a RIN, remote ink notarization, for a lender on a refi. They had done their hybrid portion and the borrower said, I'm not going anywhere. Nobody's coming to my house. Do RIN. She's a litigator who's been signing documents like this all summer. And I met her online. I go, you're phenomenal. This is great. And the lender joined us to see how it worked. And they said, this is great. They also found out because they had not had another customer request this, that their underwriting department allows it. Oh, and that's a brilliant idea, by the way. Invite your lenders to a RIN or a hybrid or because, yes, you're right. They haven't experienced it. And once you do, you realize that it's great. And what a great way for them to attend a closing, which they don't have the opportunity to do so much anymore. Well, I'm encouraged to hear that. And I'm sure you guys are in one of the leading markets for change. And so for our listeners who are in smaller markets that maybe it's not there yet, maybe this will give them some ideas about how to help encourage their lenders, again, not to jump in and do full run because there's some things to be ironed out in that regard right now. But for something like that, I just think you put forth some really good ideas for people. You know what I think is interesting in being involved with Ron in our other states that we have real Ron. Florida had real Ron as of January 1st of 2020. Got a big push for it. We've handled some on some cash deals for seller stocks. Indiana pushed it a little faster than they had anticipated. No one's really interested in it. And the best way to push it is through cash deals to see how to do it. So we know how to do it when all of a sudden a loan package hits. When you're in a real closing room, you can go out and talk to your manager and get help. When you're in a digital closing room, you're like, hi, I I, I don't know what that is. And really at this point during a refinance, do there have to be 40 different disclosures here? (laughs) Yes, they're an equal opportunity lender. Yes, you still have your job. Yes, it's your primary residence. Yes, 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 yes. I think the whole hybrid thing will become the norm. And maybe it's a bank that has 20 documents to begin with instead of 80. There is always going to be a borrower, a consumer who doesn't want to digitally sign. Maybe it's an age demographic. Maybe it's a, I want to leave with paperwork or no, I'm not doing any of that. I, I need to see, touch and feel it. That's okay. And if it becomes that it's, you know, 80% is hybrid and the rest they sign and, and within their 5% is remote online notarization, that's okay too. But this is not going to be an, an a loan that's being sold on the secondary market that's this thick anymore. Uh, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too. I really do think there's an opportunity for industry and regulators to converge here. Because remember, you mentioned TRID, and you and I both have some scar tissue left over from that. But remember... Back in the good old days when the CFPB was new and fresh and they really wanted to have a whack the stack initiative. And I can tell you that I was in a room with them and some lenders and some state departments of insurance officials. And everybody said, well, why can't we whack the stack? And the banks said, well, we'd really like to, but we need to go back and talk with our attorneys. And it was just this theoretical far off mirage of a unicorn idea at that point. Well, here we are, folks. Here's been demand. Here's how it has begun to go. Well, we have proof of concept now, and it's just like anything else. Is it a one size fits all? Is it going to work the same for everyone? No, of course not. But I'm hoping that the Bureau takes this opportunity because the consumers that it is better for, it is better for. And it's certainly more efficient for industry. And it also keeps us, you know, again, we get tied to this yoke in Thailand settlement of being the old fuddy-duddies. And a lot of times our offices are an homage to 1722. And this is such an opportunity for us to show our leadership and emerge with a new digital relevance. I saw a survey the other day that said, 
like 80% of people. And these are people that had closed in the last few months. So they want some aspect of digital in their closing. And they still want that signing ceremony, celebration, enthusiasm. Well, nothing screams hybrid like that. So much of the argument has been, well, if we go all the way to Ron and do all this, okay, take that off the table for right now. I understand the hurdles there, but what about this? Doesn't it just seem like the perfect thing at the perfect time? It is because if you're sitting, especially at a wet table funding state like this, if you're signing the loan package that you then have to scan 80 pages back to the lender for funding approval, that makes no sense because 12 of those documents impact the closing. The rest do not. There's no reason to have that. I'm a lover of technology, but at times I think technology has slowed down so much of what we do and what we're able to do because someone will hit a button and they go, well, they have it. I don't know why they haven't gotten to it yet. We literally got it 12 seconds ago and I need five minutes. That's not a bad thing. We have had our loan packages come into a specific email address for years to someone who sorts it all. She gets it out to the right offices. She checks it for viruses. She has all the passwords for this master address. That saves the branch offices a lot of time, except if she gets backed up. She is phenomenal and does it all from a laptop. I don't know how she does it. But lenders who are uploading documents, I kind of like that they come in in a format we can find them versus going, okay, did they get uploaded through there? It creates too much confusion because there's too many, if this, then this. It's hard to train people with that. They need a framework. There's going to be a lot of our days that are a lot of gray area. We need to minimize the gray area. And I think until we get to where hybrid is more of the norm, let's say 50% of the deals, a lot of senior experience people are going to struggle with some of that. Sure. But it sounds like you are making allowances for that by having, in this example, a central desk with, I'm going to guess, someone in a different demographic than some of us. The technology is first nature for that person, as opposed to it might be second nature for some of the others of us. Hey, one thing I wanted to mention about your use of technology, I went and checked your website, which is a great website. If anybody hasn't, they should, because you have a lot of consolidated places for people to interact with you with certain people on certain topics. But one thing I noticed out there was that you have posted your COVID protocol procedures and a description of your drive-up closings scenarios, how to request them, what will happen, all that. So I've seen a lot of people's signature taglines mention that they do have some different closing options right now, but I love that you guys put all the information right there on your website. At what point did you decide to do that? Was that earlier on or was that after you realized this is going to go on for a while? I think it was early on to get the flavor out there. And also when a closing gets scheduled, we send out a closing confirmation to all the parties that we have email addresses for. We added that language on there as well, that we would be requesting this to be a curbside closing, asking some people to please not attend. We understand, you know, will UPS all your checks to you, all the realtors, all you know, loan officers, mortgage broker looking for a check, whatever you need, contact us. In our Indiana operation, uh, they're just as cold and snowy as we are, and they're still doing curbsides. We do curbsides periodically. It's generally now the customer's request. Maybe they don't want to come up, something like that. It's still going on. And we will keep that on there for a while because honestly, I think 2021 is going to be a long year. I think that ownership at GIT has been very proactive in how do we get the work done? How do we keep the employees safe all at the same time? We've been through a lot, haven't we? To your point earlier, everybody has learned so much through this. They've obviously rallied. They've pulled off major and minor miracles every day. 
thinking about life before this, we only thought we had things to complain about. You know, we've done refi booms. We've done changes. We've had busy times. Now throw this on top of it. Okay, but we learned, we got through. We have another section for our disaster protocol binder called Pandemic. And this one is going to apply to a lot of other scenarios as well. Unfortunately, we'll be able to rinse and reuse this. But I think a lot of the lessons learned, some of them very rapidly, some of them more slowly, are just going to continue to serve everybody well. Think about just having a full book of closings for a day or even a week, but not having to completely wash down the closing room every time and you know all this ancillary stuff. We're going to have time to eat bonbons and, and I don't know what all. We've never really had a lot of time to eat bonbons. At the copier, at the copier. while you're making <laughs> your copies, you eat your bonbon really quick. This will teach us how to do things better. And I do have to say, I am very fortunate. I work for a company where we were able to deploy equipment home to a lot of people. I know that maybe a smaller agent or a different type of operation couldn't do that. The investment in the staff, being able to stay on top of your staff, what's going on. You're not hurting puppies in an office. You're hurting puppies in a region. How do you do this? And some of them are people who had never worked at home before. Talking to them and getting them through, is your internet okay? Is this okay? You know, when I was deploying some people home, I'd sit with them and go, what do you use on a daily basis? And they were some people who I knew would be uncomfortable working from home. Take a box of pens with you. Here's two legal pads. You make your notes. What else do you need? Do you need a highlighter? And they're like, well, well, I don't know. I said, tell me when you sit here at your desk, what do you do? We packed those things up. If you need something, we'll ship you another package of this. Well, and to your point too, that leadership level, which at sometimes can look exactly like I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to quiz you, even if it's virtually. What's your next step? What's your next step? Because yes, some people do get just full stop when faced with something out of the ordinary. And you can't just send those people home and assume they're going to be okay and check in with them on Zoom once a week. You're going to miss the part where all their hair has fallen out because of the stress and anxiety. But those are the same people who don't know how to get on a Zoom meeting. Oftentimes they are. Some Mm -hmm. of our departments, we introduce those meetings very slowly with written instructions because you can't do it inside of our VMs. You have to do it outside of the VM. Here's how to do it. And it wasn't to humiliate anybody who'd say, you know, I've never done this before. Well, I do it all day long. And some days I'm like, where's the off on the camera? It should have worked. It didn't work. What happened? Yeah, Yeah, it didn't work. So we've taught people how to do these calls. And it was good because we found that one of the departments was having a beard growing contest and they would get on their videos and compare their beards. And it was all men, luckily. It was a way for them. You know, we didn't have a Christmas party. This was our 30th anniversary last year. We had a huge party. It got moved twice. We were like, we really need some alcohol together. So we've had some of these and had some alcohol together. Some Zoom happy hours, yeah. Where we've had some morning stuff where we're having coffee, everybody brings their dog in, we talk for a few minutes. Yeah. It was good for them to feel like they were part of the office, part of a group. Some who had never FaceTime now FaceTime with each other when they have questions. And I think that part is huge. It's really good. And you've probably onboarded some new employees during this that have never met their coworkers. That was a hard hurdle for me to get over. As much as I'm pretty progressive with stuff, I was like, I do not think interviews over technology are good. Maybe they're nervous because it's a job interview. You got to get a feel for someone. If they have technology issues, it doesn't mean that they stink at technology. It just means that their internet went out or something happened. I interviewed numerous people in person, masks, very across the room. Many were very young, hired a few of them. That was their first in-person interview. It was late. It was in the fall. First in-person interview all year. They had all graduated college within the past 18 months and couldn't find a job. 
You've never met a group of people that title insurance looked so incredibly sexy too. That no one ever. <laughs> I think I love you. I love hearing a lot of the things that you're going to retain, things you're going to retain with refinement. But can we just agree as now former closers, can we just keep forever that if a seller has 12 kids, those kids aren't allowed at the closing table? And I love kids. I do not love them smooshing chocolate chip cookies on my wall, laying on the floor. Oh, I love kids. I'm not a big believer in food being served in a closing until all the documents are removed. And there is no reason to have eight cups of coffee out on that table. That is an accident waiting to happen. Nothing good can happen here. Yes. So we agree on that. You know, back in the first refi boom ever in 1986, 87, when people first started to refi, many of us averaged 10 to 11 refis a day. There was a volume to that. And then after each refi boom, I thought, I don't know that I can ever live through this again. Oh, just wait. One's coming with a pandemic on top. Every week it's kind of like, oh, what's the new curveball coming at us? I always say there's worse that could happen. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. This is how we all learn. This is how we all grow. This is how we decide if we should have a new career. I love this. I love that the technology is changing. I am grasping this and I, and I really enjoy it. There's no opportunity for boredom. I haven't been bored in 15 years. <laughs> I hope my conversation with Aaron gave you some good ideas about how to tool your company and staff for whatever lies ahead on the road. It's clear that good, solid leadership and a willingness to learn new tricks along the way are always important, but especially so when we have to be nimble and when we encounter the unexpected. If you'd like to visit with Aaron, her email address is Aaron.Jenner, that's E-R-I-N dot J-E-N-N-E-R, at gitc.com. Thank you for listening today. Keep your eyes up and be proud of what you do because it really matters.